So today we're going to wrap up this nuts and bolts series by looking at James chapter 5. The last few verses in James, starting at verse 13, going towards verse 20. If you want to look it up on the YouVersion app, just type in church together. It'll give you some notes. It'll give you the scriptures, all that kind of stuff. But as James is wrapping up this section, he wraps up in the way that he started by talking about prayer. Over these last few chapters, he's talked about some of the lowest uses of the tongue. When we use it for gossip, for cursing, for complaining, for swearing. But now in this kind of concluding statement, as he calls us back to prayer, he calls us to use our tongue for its highest purpose, which is to pray and which is to praise God. The Apostle Paul teaches us to pray at all times. The Apostle Paul teaches us to give thanks in everything. But James, being this practical guy that he is, gives us a how-to on prayer. Over these next few verses, if we were in a higher church setting, we would probably talk about how James teaches us how to supplicate, the, 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 the prayer of supplication, where we're praying for the things in our life. We talk about the prayer of confession. We talk about the prayer of intercession. But James, putting it in our language, encourages us to do three things as we pray. First of all, to speak up. Secondly, to open up. And thirdly, to help up. And really, when we pray, that's what we need to do. We lift up our voices to God. We open up our hearts to God. And through our prayers, we help up those who are in need to receive our prayers. Verse 13. If any one of you is suffering, he should lift up his voice in prayer. If anyone is cheerful, he should lift up his voice in praise. If any of you is sick, he should call for the elders of the church that they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The first thing that James says is that we are to lift up our voice in prayer when we are suffering. This word suffering speaks to when we are experiencing any kind of affliction or trial or difficulty. This word suffering is the same word that the Apostle Paul used when he was imprisoned. James is saying, if you're feeling a little trapped... If you're feeling caught or stuck or imprisoned, if you're experiencing that kind of suffering, the first thing that you need to do is pray. Not pray necessarily that God would remove that work of suffering, 
but that God would be in with you in that suffering. There are plenty of times in scripture where people are struggling. They say, God, just take this suffering away from me. And God says, no, 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 I can't do that right now. Think of Jesus in the garden. He said, get me out of here. But God says, no. Think of Paul with his thorn in the flesh. Paul's like, this, this pain is, is causing me so much of a hindrance that it's holding me back. God, wouldn't you just take away this suffering? And God says, no. Why does God says no? Because God knows that suffering produces in us something virtuous that we need. So James says, when you're suffering, pray. Not necessarily that God will take you out of it, but that God would meet you in it. Lift up your voice in prayer. If anyone is cheerful, he should sing praises. This word cheerful speaks to more uh, like joy than it does happiness. He's talking about a cheer that is on the inside regardless of what's happening on the outside. And the thought that is happening here is that as we are cheerful, as our heart is happy, that heart cannot stay still with that cheer. It has to express itself. It has to come out of us in praise, in worship, in celebration, in joy. We lift up our voices when we're struggling, but on the other end of the spectrum, we lift up our voices in praise. Verse 14, is any of you sick? Maybe sick enough that you're in a place where it's hard to lift up your voice in prayer. Maybe sick enough that the last thing you want to do is praise. He says, I'm taking away any excuses. When you're sick, call the elders of the church that they will come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. He's saying here, if you can't lift yourself up, if you can't lift your own voice, then invite someone from the church to come and help lift you up. That's one of the reasons why it's so important that we're in fellowship together, that we're in relationship to one another, because there are times in life when we cannot lift ourselves up and we cannot lift ourselves to God on our own. We need each other to help us. She's being community that when you can't lift up your voice in prayer and praise, that there are people around you who can lift you up, who can speak words of life, who can speak words of hope, who can speak words of promise, and who can speak words of healing over you. Ideally, these people are elders. That, that, that means not that they have necessarily some office, but that they are mature in their faith, mature enough that when they pray, 
They would ask God to do what God can do. Invite them to come and pray for you, to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Oil was seen as a a medicine in these days. So the idea was that when an elder came and prayed for you, that they would be giving you some medicine. But more than that, oil was also a conduit historically for God's healing to come through. Someone was anointed by God. It meant they were set apart, that they were set aside, that God was with them, looking for them, in them, preparing to wait and work through them. It says, lift up your voice in prayer. Lift up your voice in praise. When you can't lift up your voice, Ask someone else to help you lift it up. Ask them to come and lay their hands on you and to pray symbolically that you would be a set apart for God to see, for God to move, for God to heal. These elders, these mature people, verse 15, they pray in faith and they pray that this person will be healed. Now, again, this is why it's important that as we're praying for each other and those elders are praying that there is maturity present in the life of the one who's praying because the mature person prays that God's will will be done. Now, God's will is always to heal, but God's will isn't always to heal here. I've been in situations and I've spoken to people where they've had some struggle, some disability, and they've said, I really believe that God wants to, to, to heal me. And they say, I do too. Well, let's pray. And in that moment, nothing heals. God wants to heal, he can heal, and he does heal, but he heals in his time and in his way. Sometimes here, often there. And it takes a maturity of faith to say, as we pray, that we don't want God's healing on our terms, on our timing, Ultimately, we want God's healing in his timing, in his way. And so we pray. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. And James does this interesting little twist. He says, as those elders are praying, as they're lifting up their voice, if this person has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James is introducing this idea that we have lost a lot today, that there is a correlation between sin and sickness. Now, we all sin, even as we try to be healthy. And it would be unwise to say you're sick because you're sinning. But often there is a correlation 
between our sickness and our sin. One of the reasons when I was younger that I often got sick was because of worry and anxiety in my life. And that worry and anxiety in my life came from a sin of selfishness. Thinking that I need to impress, that I needed to be somebody, that, that, that my performance mattered more than it actually did. If someone's sick, we don't say, hey, you're sick because you sinned. But realize that a lot of sickness we carry is because of sin in our life. And so we lift up our voice. How do we pray? First of all, James says, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice in prayer. Lift up your voice in praise. If you can't lift up your voice, ask someone to pray for you. Lift up your voice. Secondly, he goes on. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. He talks initially about inviting elders, a designated group to come and pray. And now he says, hey, just pray for one another. Invite another to come and pray for you. The hard part of this next section, though, is around this word, confess. Because we tend to be, and we want to be, and we like to be very private people. Because when we're living as private, individual, isolated people, we can hide and get away with a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily good for us or pleasing towards God. James says, first of all, you lift up. But secondly, he says, you need to open up. You need to open up your heart before God. You need to open up your heart before one another. By confessing, we need to invite God into the dark places of our soul where sin resides that we think only we know about. It is in that act of confession that we bring it out of our soul, we bring it into the light, and we let God not only deal and forgive that sin, but we let light come into those dark places of our soul. James says, when you pray, lift up. But secondly, he says, when you pray, open up. When we can become people of confession, we become people who are vulnerable. And when we're vulnerable with one another, it fights arrogance. It fights the politics that we often play with each other. When we're vulnerable, it stomps on dissension. Confess your sins, those things that we all have, that we all carry, they're not just 
mess with our health, but mess with our relationship with God. James says, lift up and open up so that you can be healed. This word healing is not just talking about a physical healing. He's talking about complete healing. We cannot be healed spiritually without the act of confession. Because without confession, there's no space for forgiveness. And without forgiveness, we can't see God. Jesus went to the cross so that we can be forgiven. We are forgiven, but our side of that relationship involves confession. James is saying we lift up and then we must open up and pray for one another so that we can be healed. He says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. Two things about this verse. You cannot become a righteous person unless you are first a confessional person. Righteousness isn't something that we get on our own. It's given by the only one who is righteous, God. And so we have to confess our own righteousness so that we can um, encourage and receive his righteousness. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful. We're not righteous unless first we're confessing. He says this kind of prayer from this kind of person is powerful. If you want to pray with power, we have to be people of confession. Because we're asking for God's will to be done in God's way, according to God's standard. And unless we confess the limitedness and the brokenness of our way, then we're not going to pray with power. He says, think about Elijah, verse 17. He was someone who was human, just as we are. Yet he prayed, and things happened. Elijah's story is found in 1 Kings 17. Talks about how the, the, the nation was worshiping the, the idol, the false god Baal. And Elijah kind of organizes this talent contest between Baal and God. And he says, you pray to your God, see if anything happens. You do your thing, and I'll do mine. And the winner of this contest is the true God. So all the Baal worshipers come together. They try to light this sacrifice. They do all their dances. They do all their chanting. They mourn and they wail, and nothing happens. And Elijah comes and prays. And the altar catches fire. There's a time when Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain for three years, and it didn't. And when God wanted it to rain again, Elijah prayed, and it started to, to rain again. So Elijah was just like you, James said, but he was able to pray powerful things because he had confessed, and he'd been forgiven, and it aligned himself to God. He prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced 
its fruit. If we want to be people of prayer, first of all, we lift up and then we open up. Man, this opening up is hard. Because in our culture, we are measured and judged by how pretty we can look, by how many likes we have, by what we wear and what we drive, and all that other kind of stuff. But the way of the kingdom is very different. The way of the kingdom is that we don't exist to draw a spotlight to ourselves, but we live to glorify God and push the light towards Him. And James is saying that the light actually shines better and brighter towards Him when we are living with our brokenness front and center. Let let me illustrate this a little bit. James has got a, a slide, I believe. You see this pot right here? It has been fixed by this process, this Japanese process that's over 700 years old. I think you pronounce it kintuzgi. Probably butchered that. And the way that this works is that years ago, when something broke, it would be fixed with a lacquer, with a paste that had gold in it. And so when something was put back together, because it had this this gold sewn into it, it actually became more valuable. In our brokenness, as we're put back together by God, we're more valuable because He Himself is producing the traits of His kingdom in us. This form of healing comes from the philosophy, and I think I'm pronouncing this right, it's a little bit easy, called wabi-sabi. The idea that there is beauty and value in the imperfect. See, what this philosophy suggests is that what is beautiful about something is not the superficial thing that they present, but how their brokenness has been fixed. So often in our society, we will look at that pot and say, oh, it's broken. But this philosophy says, no, let's look at the cracks and see the history and see how this thing has been put back together and fixed. Let's look at the the gold that has been produced in this because of the crack. James says, first of all, if you want to pray, lift up. Secondly, if you want to pray, open up. The Apostle Paul talks about how our lives are broken parts that are put together by Jesus so that his light and his life and his substance can shine through us. But that only happens if we open up to our brokenness by confession. James is saying about prayer, lift up, open up. And finally, in our prayers, help up. Verse 19, my brothers and sisters, 
This phrase, brothers and sisters, is mentioned numerous times in the letter. I was going to count, but I completely forgot. Maybe someone can do that. How many times is brothers and sisters listed in James? But the point is we're a family. We're in it together. We need each other. Brothers and sisters, if any of you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Lift up, open up, help up. This word straying from the truth. better translated as someone who wonders from the truth. Someone who who knew the truth, but because of how they're living, because of the distractions, because of the stuff, they just start wandering away from it. They just start drifting back. I don't know about you, but this is my story. It's almost like I'm on some kind of elastic cord with God, right? And sometimes it feels like I'm I'm really close to him. But if my spiritual disciplines aren't in place, if my relationships are off, if my ego gets too big, then I find myself wandering away. But the good news about the gospel is that when we wonder, there is always the invitation to come back. We sang it in that song, didn't we? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Do we want to do it? No. Does it happen? Yes. Paul James is saying that in our prayers, we have a responsibility to pray for the wanderer that they would come back. But James goes a little bit further than saying you just have a responsibility to pray for them. He says, I think, that as soon as you see someone wondering and you realize that someone is wondering from God, you have a responsibility to help them get back to God. Lift up, open up. Help up. There are people all over who are wondering from God, not with an O, with an A. And it's our responsibility to help bring them back to God. James says, if you can do that, there's something good that will happen to you. We're saved. We're brought to God by faith, by God's grace. But James introduces this interesting idea that almost got his letter kicked out of the scriptures. That if we would help a wanderer, then there is something in it for us. It's not completely an unbiblical thought at all. There's precedence for it. Ezekiel, God said to him, if you will, um, God, God said to Ezekiel, I will save your life if you're faithful. Paul said to Timothy, 
says, as you speak the word, it will save others and it will, will save you. What they're saying is that as we help someone else, we're actually helping another. If we find a wanderer and bring them back to God, we are actually bringing ourselves back to God as well. It makes sense, right? James is saying, when you pray, lift up, open up, and help up. Bring the wanderer home. Love them enough that they can see Jesus. By your example, by your love, by your generosity, help that wanderer come home. Tracy and I have got something wrong with our vacuum at home. Could have had it for a long time. We just don't use it as often as I should to discover it. But Bethany has some friends over recently, and having friends over is a great excuse to clean the house, right? We all know that. As Tracy was vacuuming, something strange was going on in that it wasn't picking up dirt. It was distributing it. I mean, the vacuum sucked because it didn't suck, right? <laughs> and so we tried to have a look at it and figure it out, and we're going to give up and buy a new one because I'm not quite sure how, how it, how it all, all works and whether it can be fixed. But as I was reflecting on this, it reminded me so often of how we relate to the wanderer. Our role as followers of Jesus, as people of prayer, is to make a positive difference and help clean up the mess in this world. But if we're not loving right, if we're not reflecting Jesus as we should, if the life of God isn't been living through us, rather than cleaning up the mess in the world, rather than bringing people to Jesus who can forgive sins and clean up mess, we're actually making things worse. We're actually making things more messy and more dirty. Does that make sense? And so here, James is saying, live in such a way that cleans up rather than messes up. Live by your example in a way that doesn't push the wanderer farther from the truth, that brings the wanderer back home. James is saying, as he wraps up this letter, He's saying, you got to be people of prayer. You got to be people who stay close to God. You got to be people who lift up and who open up and who help up because that's how. The kingdom of God is going to come. That's how the world will be changed. That's how lives will be transformed. That's how what God wants to do will be done. About prayer, James says, lift up your voice. Open up your heart vulnerably. 
and help up the wanderer that they can come back to him. The criticism of the book of James throughout history and throughout the church, it's been a very controversial book. Is that James focuses too much on what we need to do at the expense of what God wants to do and has done. Just to wrestle down that argument, we put our faith into action. We put our faith to work because of the work that God has done on the cross. We receive his grace so that we can do his work. We don't do the work so that we can check the boxes to heaven and find our salvation. That's a work of grace that we receive so it can express itself in work, so that we can do the work of lifting up and opening up and helping up. The focus is not on our works. The focus is on God's grace. 